if you could stand to your feet and feet and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 12 through 16. Um, if you are visiting with us today, we are just so excited that you are here with us, and we pray that this service would, would be a blessing to you, that it would draw you close to the, the God of the Bible. We're going to continue with our, our series on the Trinity as we continue to marvel at this triune God, this God who has revealed himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person we know is equally or fully God. We're going to continue today to focus on the Father, to focus on the Father, to focus on the Father. If you have your Bibles with you or your phones with you, whatever you're using to read God's Word, I just want to remind you that um, as we read God's Word, um, what we're reading is authoritative. This isn't a suggestion. This is authoritative. And this isn't coming from uh, man. This is coming from the God of this world, the God of this universe, as he has inspired man to pen these words. So we sit under this word, and, and, and as we read this word, may we remember that, that obeying his word brings true satisfaction. True satisfaction. So we praise God for the, the inerrant, sufficient, holy, magnificent, powerful, Word of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father, that we don't have to go through life wondering about who you are, but we can know who you are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And it reads, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You may be seated. Today we want to uh, tag this text, The Profound Forgiveness of the Father. The Profound Forgiveness of, of the Father. You know, we have all seen the movies or read a novel where there's a CIA or FBI agent that has gone rogue. They were maliciously charged or blackballed within the agency. And now they are, they are seeking revenge on those who did them wrong. And naturally, we find ourselves rooting for them because uh, we want to see them uncover a cover-up. And we want to see them repay those who treated them unjustly. 
And we, we find ourselves in the midst of, of watching this movie or watching a, a television program with this theme, uh, rooting for them because vengeance is ingrained in our DNA. Vengeance is a part of our makeup. And quite frankly, vengeance is what is the response that is most natural to us. Vengeance is more of a natural response than forgiveness. Retaliation is more of a natural response to us than mercy. Yet at the same time, there is tension in our heart because we know that we are broken and fallen human beings and that we are prone to make mistakes. We are prone to to wrong someone. But when we wrong someone, we don't want justice to be paid to us. And we don't want that person to retaliate uh, against us in vengeance. No, our hearts cry out. Our hearts long for mercy. See, I found in my own heart that forgiveness, forgiveness is a, a tricky matter. On the one hand, when I sin and offend someone, I find myself exalting forgiveness as a, a high and necessary virtue. I say, I forgive you. I I, I sinned against you. It would be the virtuous thing for you to do for you to offer forgiveness and mercy to me. But on the other hand, when someone sins against me and offends me, my my natural response to forgive or to to retaliate against them kind of kicks in. I then begin to feel as if Forgiving that person would be a violation of justice. And and, and you're probably the same way. On the one hand, when you sin and offend someone, you exalt forgiveness as a high and necessary virtue. But on the other hand, on the other hand, when someone sins against you and offends you, you feel like it is a violation of justice and justice needs to be paid. So what do we do with the temptation in each of our hearts that wants to receive mercy, but that is naturally inclined to lean towards retaliation and vengeance? What do we do with that tension, especially since in today's text, in the Lord's Prayer, in the midst of teaching his disciples how to pray, we see that part of that prayer is, Jesus tells us that a a proper perspective, a proper way to pray is, forgive us our debts as we forgive, have also forgiven our debtors. And then after the prayer, as soon as he opens his eyes, as soon as the disciples know that he is done praying, he goes back to the matter of forgiveness, and he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus clearly teaches here with, without qualification, without going into a long discourse and saying, but in this situation, in that situation, No, Jesus clearly teaches here that forgiveness is a necessity, not a luxury. Now, we want to see Jesus' words here as he ends that that prayer and as he talks about how we must forgive as we have been forgiven. We want to see that not as a threat, but as a warning. 
Jesus is not threatening us, saying that as, as Christians, if this doesn't happen, then that will not happen. No, Jesus is warning us, and he is saying that if you profess to be a Christian and you live your life without practicing and pursuing forgiveness, then it is because you have never truly been touched by the Father's forgiveness. It is because you have never seen the forgiveness that God the Father offers you as amazing and profound. He's not threatening to cast us aside. He's warning us and saying that you never were near. That's a a difference. That's a difference. But today we want to talk about this difficult subject. This forgiveness is a hard subject and, and there's so much that we could talk about. I was telling my wife, this could be an eight to ten part series, easy, easily. So we're not going to answer every question and get into every nook and, 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 and crevice, but what we're going to do today, we are going to, we're going to answer two questions. We're going to look at two things. Number one, we're going to look at how the Father profoundly forgives us. And then number two, we're going to look at how God calls us to forgive others or profoundly forgive others. And we're going to deal with the meat of this issue, praying that God gives us the grace and that the Holy Spirit searches our hearts to love and obey God. Today we're going to look at the fact that we urgently need the forgiveness of the Father and we desperately need to forgive others. We urgently need the forgiveness of the Father and we desperately need to forgive others. Forgive as the Father has profoundly forgiven you. To forgive means to send away or to cast away, to hurl away. And if we're going to understand the profound forgiveness of God in order that we can profoundly forgive others, we have to expose a lie. A lie in our culture and a lie in the church. Even as Christians, as Jesus prayed, forgive us our our debts. When we read that, there's a a lie that is causing us to interpret that text without uh, that prayer or to pray that way without being amazed. And and, and that lie uh, keeps us from living in awe of God. And that lie is simple. It is the lie that the Father forgives us by simply looking the other way. That the Father forgives us of our sins by simply just looking the other way. We say, you know, I can go to God and I can pray to God and he's just going to send that sin away. He's just going to wipe that sin away. And that is a dangerous lie that keeps you from loving God the Father and cherishing God the Son because it's just not true. If God was just to wipe our sins away and send our sins away without repaying us with justice, For the sin that we committed, it would make God unjust, and it would make him unholy, and it would make him imperfect. God can't just throw your sin under the rug and forgive you. Just like a crooked cop. If a a cop was to see someone commit a crime and turn his head the other way and forgive them without pursuing justice, we would tag him crooked. In the same way, it is with God. No, the Bible reveals that God 
is far from crooked and that he repays the guilty because he is completely just. This is a theme throughout the Bible. A few verses, Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says that the Lord by no means will clear the guilty. The Lord by no means will clear the guilty. Psalm 5 and 5 says that the Lord hates all evildoers. God is absolutely holy. He is infinitely flawless. He is perfectly just. And his justice must be satisfied by the punishment of every violation of his law. The Bible teaches that the due penalty of our iniquity is infinitely severe. Romans says that the wages, the payment of our sin, of our crime, of our offense against God is eternal damnation. It is death. We all deserve God's judgment. Every single person, the Bible says, because we are all born sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of his magnificent standard, of his glory. None are righteous, no, not one. So, so why can't God just overlook our sin? Why can't he just rug, slide it under the rug and just, just forgive it? Because sin is an extreme offense against God. It's not, a lot of times we, we go to God the Father and we repent, and it doesn't lead us to deep worship to God the Father because we think that he can just, he just forgives it. In a simple and quick way, because he's God, but we have to understand that no, sin is offensive to God. You know, it's not, a, it's not, our sin is not a boo-boo. It's not a oops. It's, it's not a mistake. Our sin is equivalent to us flicking God off. It's equivalent to us giving God the bird and saying, you know what? <laughs> I'd rather have my way. And for a holy, just, infinitely righteous God, he has to. He has to punish it. He can't just overlook it. Proverbs 17, 15 says that he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Do you hear that? He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. The person who justifies the wicked is abomination to the Lord. So if the Lord was to just justify the wicked without punishing them, he would be an abomination to himself. So the question that we have to look at and that we must, must answer if we are going to be led to worship in awe and forgive others just as God has forgiven us is how can God give and extend to us forgiveness without compromising his own justice? How can a holy God forgive us without compromising his own justice? He does it in the cross of his son. Jesus satisfied God's wrath towards our sin on Calvary. At the cross, the perfect holy, blameless Son of God took our sins upon his shoulder. He allowed the Father to exact justice on him. He absorbed all of God's wrath towards every single sin. Every single time we flicked God off 
and said, I want it my way. Jesus took the punishment for it. And he absorbed it. And at the same time, at the cross, we see that God, not only do we see justice, but we also see mercy. We see justice and mercy interacting. We see justice and mercy kissing. Because we get to go free as if we were perfect. Because we take on Jesus' righteousness. That's why I love the psalmist. I love the psalmist when he says, Mercy and truth have met each other, and justice and peace have kissed. That was at the cross. The Bible says, For he, for our sake, I love that, for our sake, for my sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, listen to this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says that God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All of our debt, all of our trespasses on Calvary, on Golgotha's hill, was nailed to Jesus. And it wasn't nailed to Jesus because we're good or we're great. No, it was nailed to Jesus because God loves us. And as we look to faith in Jesus, God forgives us. God does not wipe away and just throw away our sins and just forgive us for the sake of forgiving us. No, Jesus was punished. Jesus was crucified so that we could be set free. That is profound. God forgives us not by simply turning his head or sending our sin away, but by crucifying his son in our place and forgiving us through him and him alone. So listen, the profound forgiveness of the father has some marks. And the first mark is this, the profound forgiveness of the father is in Christ. The profound forgiveness of the father is in Christ. And that's what we just talked about. That God the Father only forgives us of our debts because of what Jesus has done. And that should weigh on us. And that should lead us to worship. But number two, the profound forgiveness of the Father is instant. The profound forgiveness of the Father is instant. When God forgives us and when we repent of our sins and we say, forgive us our, our debts, When we come to him initially and say, Lord, I'm giving my heart to you, the Bible says that God forgives us instantly. That he doesn't hold a grudge against us. He doesn't wait five years to forgive us. But instantly we're forgiven. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. I want you to turn your Bibles there. Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. I believe that this is absolutely amazing when we talk about how God forgives us. And in his text, we see that David has sinned against God. He has committed adultery. And not only has he committed adultery, but he murdered the woman's wife so that he can have her as his wife. Like, that's low. Like, real housewives of Atlanta or Louisville, wherever, like, they haven't stooped that low yet. Like, this is low. Well, maybe they have. I haven't watched it. Amen. (laughs) And listen to what God, 
how God forgives. It says, this is David, I have sinned against the Lord God. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. In the same verse, in the same verse, David repents and David is forgiven. God's forgiveness is instant. Third, the profound forgiveness of God is resolute. The profound forgiveness of God is resolute. And what do I mean by resolute? When God forgives us, not only does he forgive us in Christ, and not only does he forgive us uh, in an instant or instantaneously, but he, he, re- he resolves to not bring our sins up again. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says that God will remember our sins no more, that he cast it in a sea of forgetfulness. God resolves to never bring that sin up again in order to harm us. He may bring it up in our hearts again to to remind us that we are going back the way that we once were, but never to harm us, never to shame us, only to lead us closer to him. And he resolves that when he forgives you, that that's it. Now, when it says that he forgets our sins or he remembers that no more, that's, that's an anthropomorphic term. God cannot forget something because he's God. Anthropomorphic means that uh, that is a, a term that gives God human-like qualities in order to explain something to us. God is all-knowing. He can't forget something. But it means that he chooses not to bring it up against us. D, or number four, it results in restored intimacy. When God forgives you and me, the result is restored intimacy with him. Restored intimacy with him. When we sin against God, when David sinned against God, when he murdered a man, and took a man's wife. Listen to how he responded in Psalms chapter 51. Listen to how he cried out to the Lord. He says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's crying out to God. He's saying, God, I sinned against you. Restore me. Draw near to me. And in Christ, when we pray that, we don't have to worry because God says, done. To David, he says, done. I forgive you. We can go back into having an intimate relationship. That's what 1 John chapter 1 and 9 tells us. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, submit you therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is saying the same thing. When we sin and when we submit ourselves to God, he draws near to us. That's that's instantly and that's also a result of the same intimacy. And why do we need to know that? You know you need to know that because when we sin, we, we sometimes, we, we, we live as if God has not forgiven us or as if we've got to jump through a whole bunch of more loops or, or as if God is going to do something really mean to us to pay us back for what we've done. And we have to see that God's forgiveness is profound. It is divine. He says, I forgive you in Christ your past, present, and future sins have been paid for. I forgive you instantly. I forgive you with a resolve. I forgive 
forgive you in a way that results in intimacy. And listen, I forgive you for some deep, deep, dark, messed up stuff. God doesn't just forgive the little bitty things. No, God forgives the dirty things, the things that you don't want to even tell your mama, the things that your best friends don't know about. God said, baby, I forgive you, David. I know you messed up, but I forgive you, Moses. I know you messed up and murdered somebody, but I forgive you, Manasseh. You were definitely messed up, but I forgave you. Why? Because I'm profound, because I'm amazing, because of my grace is sufficient and it is scandalous. Scandalous at times. How the Lord forgives us. I'm so glad that he has a scandalous grace. Sit there like you've got it all together. But somebody, somebody should be glad that God forgave them. All the stuff you done did all the hell you done put people through, all the lies you done told, all the slander you done pushed over on somebody, want to sit there all dignified like, oh yeah, he forgave me. No, he forgave you. When nobody else would forgive you if they knew what you did to him, he forgave you. Say, you flicked me off, you gave me the bird, but baby, I love you. I loved you enough to send my son and allow him to die the death that you deserve on Calvary's cross. I love you instantly. I love you with resolve. I love you in a way that restores intimacy. And I love you through your deepest and darkest sins. The forgiveness of God is better than oxy-clean. It washes us. It makes us whiter than snow. So God forgives us profoundly. According to this text, Jesus is calling us to forgive others just as profoundly. Uh-oh. Hello? It got quiet. Quick! (laughs) Real quick. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what do we want to understand about how God calls us to forgive others? The first thing that we want to understand is that God calls us to forgive others in Christ. Not through our own strength or merit, but in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 13, second part of the verse says, bearing with one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So what does that mean? We forgive. God expects us to forgive in Christ. Number two, God forget, expects us for, to forgive quickly. To forgive quickly. When someone sins against us, Many times we resolve to one day forgive that person. I'm sure the Lord will work it out in my heart and one day I'll forgive him. I just need time and space and distance. But one day, no, 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 no. God calls us to forgive quickly. Not only does he cause us to forgive quickly, he calls us to forgive with resolve. 
with resolve. Just like God forgives us with resolve and he resolves uh, to not bring up our sins against us and to use it, our, our past against us to harm us, that same resolve God calls us to have towards other people. No, you've got a lot of questions, and you're standing, and you're saying, Pastor Jamal, this is nonsense, this is impossible, and I want to tell you to hold on. He calls you to forgive with resolve. He says, what does it mean to forgive someone with resolve? It means a few things. Number one, it means that you resolve not to dwell on the past. As Satan tries to bring up what they did to you in the past, you resolve not to live there, not to plant a flag there and to dwell on it. You resolve not to seek revenge against that person. You resolve not to go about and gossip and talk negatively about that person to others. Oh, I forgave them. But then you go and you tell a million people what they did to you. The Proverbs... I'm not going to go there, man. (laughs) Somebody say, stay focused, amen. You resolve that I will only bring up the offense if it is absolutely necessary in order to show how that offense that you have repented from or that you have done before is still habitually being practiced. It's the only way, the only reason I'm going to bring it up. You know, a wife went, once went to a, 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 her, her pastor after her and her husband was having uh, some marital issues and he didn't want to come to counseling. And she said, you know, Pastor, every time me and my husband uh, argue, he just gets so historical. And the pastor said, what you mean, hysterical? She said, no, historical. (laughs) He goes back to the first time I offended him and brings up every time since then. And that's many of us. And God's saying, no, when you forgive someone, you don't get historical. (laughs) You leave it in the past. Lastly, we forgive with debt. We, I'm sorry. We, uh, our forgiveness, God expects our forgiveness to result in restored intimacy. To result in restored intimacy. Just as God restores intimacy with us after the offense, God says, if you're going to forgive others of their trespasses, if you're going to forgive as the Father has profoundly forgiven you, you forgive in a way that results in restored intimacy. You know, a lot of times we say, you know, I forgive you, but I can never be close to you again. I forgive you, but we can never have a friendship again. That's because we're looking at forgiveness from a a human perspective. In human strength. With human wisdom. What if God forgave you like you forgive us? What if God said, yeah, I forgive you, but we never can be as close as we once were? God God expects us, when someone sins against us, God expects us to, to seek to restore that friendship and that intimacy. Jesus was asked the question, how many times should I forgive my brother uh, if they sin against me? Jesus said, seven times 70 in one day. How can your brother... How can your brother sin against you seven times, let alone 70 times seven, 
But seven times in one day, if you distance yourself from them and resolve to not be close to them. No, Jesus says the, re- the reason why you have to continue to forgive like that is because I forgive you like that. And I draw near to you. I know this is difficult for those who have been through extreme things such as molestation or rape. But I, I, I want to say to you, even in the midst of that difficulty, don't close your heart to the mess and listen, because God wants to free you. And with God, all things are possible. Last, under this section, we see that God expects us to forgive with death. God expects us to forgive with death. God doesn't, God doesn't just want us to forgive the small things, but he empowers us and he expects us to forgive the deep, dark things. The deep, dark things. Some of us, we have lists for our spouses. We have lists for our friends. If my friend ever does this against me, if my spouse ever does, I'm gone. Like, this is what it would take for me to break off our marriage, to break off our friendship. And I'm telling you that in Christ, God expects for us to to love our brothers and our sisters just as he loved us. And he says, tear up that list of if you ever do this to me. Because I still require you to forgive. Pastor Jamal, how, how is this possible? Well, before we look at how this is possible, let's look at what hinders us from from believing this and from accepting this. I think it's a three-headed monster. You ever seen like sci-fi movies and there's like a three-headed dragon, you know? And they're coming after that person, that person's kind of running. There's a three-headed monster that keeps us from forgiving as God has profoundly forgiven us. Number one, it's our pride. It's our pride. Pride gets in the way of us forgiving. And by pride, I don't just mean like like arrogance, like, yeah, I'm not going to forgive. There's another side of pride, and that's self-pity. That's me waddling in what you did against me and saying that I could never forgive you. Poor me. How could you treat me that way? Pride hinders us from forgiving because we think much of ourselves. And we make ourselves to be the center of attention and the center of focus. And we begin worshiping ourselves as if we're God. And we say, no one should ever offend me. No one should ever treat me that way. And if they do, uh, to, to heck with them. No one should flick me off, but we flick God the Father off in so many ways. David said, if we were to count the numbers, uh, our trans- if God was to count our transgressions, who could stand before? So there's two pictures here of, 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 of the way that we forgive. The first is in Christ. I want you to imagine I got a Nerf ball, small Nerf ball, all right? And, and that represents a, a Christian who is in Christ and who believes that Christ can give them the power to forgive. Now I'm smushing in this Nerf ball, and I'm pushing it in, and it leaves a dent. But if you ever play with a Nerf ball, you know that that dent is going to come back out. That's forgiveness when our identity is in Christ and God and not in ourselves. But when our identity is centered around us and self and pride, 
It's not a Nerf ball, it's a balloon. We blow up that balloon, and when something happens, we pop. And that's our ego. That's our id for you psychology majors. That's our, our prideful, carnal flesh. That's, our, our, that's us saying, I deserve more. I'm this way. I dare you to offend me. And that's why many of us, are, our relationship with siblings and with friends are broken and aren't repairable or being repaired. Pride. Number two is feeling-oriented. Second hindrance is we're so feeling-oriented. We believe that forgiveness is based on how we feel. And I come to tell you today that forgiveness is not an issue of feelings. Forgiveness is a decision. It is an act of the will. You think Christ felt like dying on a cross? No, we see in Gethsemane that wasn't true. But he made a decision and he acted for the glory of his Father and for your salvation. Feeling oriented. So we've got to say no to feelings. Number three is we, is we try to forgive in our own strength, personal strength. The reason we're hindered in forgiving others is because of pride, because of our feelings, and because we're trying to do it in our own strength and not in the strength of God. Not in the strength of God. And as a result of living this way, we, we find ourselves... In a, in a horrible predicament, some of you are being eaten alive by unforgiveness. It is, it is tearing at you. I once heard one preacher preach about, um, at a service, he preached about a, a, a gentleman at his, at his church who was just a, a, he was a man's man. Everybody respected him. He was just super tough. And he served in the Vietnam War. He was celebrated as a, as a war hero. And after service, uh, the pastor had just got through from preaching on forgiveness. And he came up to him and he said, Pastor, that was a good sermon, but that does not apply to me. I've been in Vietnam. I've lost close friends at the hands of the, Viet- the Vietnamese. He said, there's no way I can forgive them. In fact, every time I see one of them, it takes a lot in me not to just hurt them. And that pastor looked at him, and he said, well, okay, go to hell. And he walked away. By God's grace, he came back to see that Jesus don't, doesn't make exceptions. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. It embitters us. It makes us angry. And not just towards that person, but towards everyone else. Anyone else who reminds us of that person, we take it out on. It eats at us. It tears us. But what, what do I do? What do we do? What's, what's the, the remedy from this natural inclination for vengeance and retaliation? How do I get to the point of forgiving as the Father profoundly forgave me. Let me illustrate this. I believe it will work best that way. There 
was a, a Dutch woman by the name of, of, uh, of Carrie Ten Bloom. And she wrote a, a really popular book that's called The Hiding Place. And, and Terry uh, Ten Bloom uh, helped many Jews escape from the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. But her family was imprisoned after uh, the, 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 the Nazis found this out. They imprisoned them. And while in prison, uh, her father and her sister Betsy, she watched them die as they were mistreated. Oh, in, in such a horrible way. And this is an excerpt from her book. And basically what this is, is after she speaks at a church, she sees one of the soldiers who was at that camp where her sister died. And this is what happens. It says, I was at a church service in Munich, Munich, excuse me, that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center of Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that, had been, that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking man, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. And he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing, saying, how grateful I am for your message. And he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people in Blow Mendel about the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. And even as angry and vengeful thoughts bore through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand and I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth of charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healings hinge, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemy, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Isn't that refreshing? So how do we forgive? How do we forgive that, 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 that boyfriend that cheated on us? With our girlfriend. With your girlfriend. How do you forgive? How, how, how do we forgive that spouse or that ex-spouse who, who, who did us so dirty and so wrong? Who was a, abusive or who walked out of our marriage and, and broke our vows? How do I forgive that co-worker who's always gossiping and flaunting her relationship and, and her job? Promotion. How do I forgive them? You forgive by cherishing Christ above your pride, above your feelings, and by not doing it in your own strength. 
You forgive by praying, Jesus, I cannot forgive. Give me your forgiveness. Do you have someone who you have not released, someone who is still under the grips of your heart, someone whose sins you refuse to hurl away? You say, yeah, but, yeah, I do, but it's because he or she never apologized. If only they would come and own up to what they did. And that is an element of forgiveness we see with God, that we own up to it. But, but the Bible doesn't, doesn't go into that. It doesn't tell us that. I believe that, that we, in our heart, can release them. We can forgive them by, by, by making up our mind to love them. Love those. Love your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. He says, pray for them. That's what forgiveness looks like. Release them to the Lord. Give them back to God and say, God, give me your heart. God, give me your forgiveness through your spirit. The only way that you're going to do that is if you make much of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Is if you find yourself back at the well of grace, drinking from it, saying, how amazing is your grace? is if you look at how you offended God and how you cheated against God and how you abused God and how you have molested his gospel and say, God, just as I have done that against you, they have done that against me, and it is hard as Hades, but Father, give me your forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit was God gives to every believer with this triune God gives as a gift. He begins not to just change our, our feelings first, no, but he gives us the power to lift up our hand and overwhelms us with the love that we were first overwhelmed with when we looked to Calvary for salvation by grace through faith. What if God forgave you like you forgive others? It's a test, a quick test for forgiveness. I think I forgave him, but I'm not sure. Here's a quick test. Four, four questions that you can ask yourself to see if there's unforgiveness festering in your heart. Number one, is there an offense that I am constantly dwelling on, constantly thinking about? Is my heart constantly seeking revenge? By revenge, I don't mean like often the person and going to get someone that's going to murk or murder them. I mean, like when I see this person, am I trying to always one-up them? To make them feel silly or stupid? Is my heart free from gossiping about this person? Another way to put it, am I talking to others about this incident? Father left me. I need to release God to him and not dwell on it, not bring it up to everybody about how horrible of a dad he is? Am I allowing this incident to stand between us and hinder our personal relationship? Some of us say, yeah, I forgave my sister, yeah, but you haven't called her in two years. 
And when you see her calling, it is, it is a miracle if you answer the phone or return a phone call. By avoiding someone by taking the long way around the church. <laughs> or the long way around the office. Uh-oh. Come dig us up and say, like, man, the bathroom was right there. You went on the other side. Some of us, we don't go to family functions because someone told us that that dress wasn't flattering to us. Pop! That balloon popped, didn't it? Be a Nerf ball. Not an empty balloon. By cherishing Christ, looking to his grace, doing the hard, hard work of forgiving. If God calls us to forgive, he empowers us to forgive. Christians, we are the most forgiven people in the world, and we should forgive the most. Forgive as God has profoundly forgiven you. Look to the cross. Believe that God can give that to you. And when and if you find yourself struggling with forgiveness today, don't beat yourself up. Don't make a long list and say, this is what I'm going to do to forgive that person. No, stop. Look to God's grace. Look to how he loved you and allow that to motivate you. Look to how Jesus forgave you and pardoned you and allowed that to motivate you and beg him to give me, Christ, give me your forgiveness. Forgive as God has profoundly forgiven you. Forgive quickly with resolve, with the goal of restored intimacy, and with debt. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for, for your love and your forgiveness that you have given us and that you give through Christ. Thank you for the Son that loved us enough to display his love on Calvary's cross. Thank you, Father, for your Spirit that empowers us to profoundly forgive others so that you would be glorified, so that you would be made famous and not ourselves. Make our hearts into nerf balls and not balloons so that people who are lost and who do not love Jesus will look at us and say, there is something different about you. In Jesus' name, amen.